Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, ready to start? Hi Benjamin, thank you for joining us. Tonight is going to be our uh, ninth year that we're doing together as a group. Um, we started during COVID. Uh, we started as a small thing with me and Coach Menachem in our local community and Baruch Hashem. We've had uh, a lot of interesting weekends over here and it's been very uh, helpful to everybody. It's been a tremendous chizik and we're really appreciative for everybody that comes on to help us. Uh, the reason why we got to this session tonight about financials is because one of the pressing issues happening right now um, throughout COVID, but obviously as time goes on, it's getting more relevant, is the issue of finances. So I look for the best guy I can get, and uh, Saul, I guess you win. So that's why you're on tonight. With over 40 years experience, I figured you probably know probably a little bit more than me. Um, we brought down, we made a nice interesting uh, board tonight. We have some retail owners, Motrik Sira owns a store local here in Lakewood. We have Benjamin Heinemann, who is, I'm going to call him the global Lakewood guy because he has a big, um, first he's been in Lakewood from, I don't know, maybe before Lakewood existed. And he has a big printing company and he's involved with every retail business because, you know, he's always doing advertising. Any retail business really pretty much advertises in the BP. So um, he probably has a very good pulse and more of a general of what's going on in Lakewood. And um, that's how we formed this board. And later on is going to be uh, Mr. Charlie Rarley will be gracing us, gracing us with his pre presence to get some different physics. So let's get started. First, I want to um, first I want to welcome everybody to the program. I want to thank our corporate sponsor this week, uh, Mr. Saul Friedman, for sponsoring the program. And uh, Saul Friedman, thank you for sponsoring Saul Friedman. We really appreciate it. And I asked him tonight before we started this program why he decided to come on. And he said, if he could help one yid and give him chizik and give him some financial advice, it's worth every dollar and it's worth his time. So that's what he's here for tonight. He's here tonight to give us his understanding, his chizik, his knowledge. And um, everybody's coming from a different point of view. It's very interactive. We want questions. We want people to be involved. It's not a share. It's not a speech. We're not interested in that. We want people to turn on the videos. Right. Let's go, everybody. Turn on your videos. Don't be scared. That's it. Turn them on. Oh, Mark, how are you? and make it very interactive and make it fun. And let's ask really hard questions and let's be honest. So first I want to thank the corporate sponsor, Saul Freeman, you know, for coming on. I'd like to give a special thank you to our advertising sponsors, Mrs. Chaya Kaufman from the Yeshiva World of Matzev, LNN, the Lakewood News Network, Lakewood's most viewed status. You can sign up by sending a WhatsApp message to 732-903-5017. like to thank Rev. Yankel Wanger from Lakewood Chopper for always promoting us. Jay Blast, I'd like to thank Mrs. Mika Sofer from COL Live. And I want to give a special thank for, for Chazak, from children's to teens, singles and couples, millennials, baby boomers, all our cherished seniors, Chazak offers programming for all. We're going to start the program with opening remarks from our host, Coach Menachem. Take it away. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. First, I would like to thank the whole team the Let's Get Real team that's working around the clock to make this all a major success, like you can see. And to all of you that participate and send your feedback, which I love reading the feedback. 
last week we had the show on the show we had about the effect that technology has on us humans the information was packed we almost went to two hours and it was really amazing the positive the positive feedback just doesn't stop and for those who want to watch the replay you can go to menachembernville.com to get the replay Today's topic, transition to greatness, is stepping back before moving forward towards financial and spiritual success. During the past few months, we all have became aware of and not everyone we're having tonight and now we are seeing some light hopefully light the end of the tunnel hopefully we're going to get out of this tunnel but before before moving forward we need to step back and evaluate where was i before this where am i now how did this affect me and how to move forward what can i do some ideas which we'll hear soon. And what can I do different so that I learn from experience? You see, money is very powerful. When we were kids, and some people still say it, they say, when I win the lottery, I'll give, I'll do, I'll build. Hashem, I'm telling you, just when I win the lottery. And then when we slowly have success, it, there's no one home. It's hard to get to get to him. Too busy. Where you know he might say, "Not now. I work too hard. I worked hard for it. I need to support my kids." All different ideas. So we might hear some ideas tonight that might be hard to accept, and for many people that is painful what we're going through financially. We don't really want to hear it. Just tell me everything will be fine. I'll be good. That's all I want to hear. But the truth is that this is the time to talk about it. This is the time to plant some seeds so that when we get back in Mitzvah when we get back on our feet, we do things a little different and we're a, more, a little bit more conscious about the money that we make. And we have to understand that everything that's going on, whether it's financial, whichever area your challenge is, this is all in a soyan, it's a test. And Bitochen and Ishtadlis, they go together. Whether it's financial or in the other areas, we have to have Bitochen, but we have to do Ishtadlis. And we have to make the Kalim for Hashem to send us the Ashpoah. Tonight, we'll be discuss discussing mainly about the Ishtadlis. And Ishtadlis is, again, is different for everyone. Everyone is different. Everyone is on a different level of Ishtadlis. Many people, when they're fine, when they're feeling healthy, they're not really aware of the bracha and shmaneser of Baruch of, of uh, Rifa'enu. But if chas they become sick and they're in a hospital and doctors give up, they somehow figure out there's this bracha and they concentrate on Rifa'enu. The same thing is the bracha of Baruch Eleinu. When things go good, you know, shmaneser takes a little bit faster. 
But we have to become aware of the Ishtadlis, the main Ishtadlis of Tefillah, and we have it in our Shmanesa every day. So I'm happy that tonight, Mr. Shem, we'll, we'll hear from Mr. Friedman, who has a bird's eye view of what's going on and the experience that he has for many, many years from all different types of experiences. And Mr. Shem will hear from Charlie Arari, his perspective. And I would like to thank Ben Heinemann and Mordechai Kassirer for being here tonight with us and sharing a little bit and helping so that we can get some insights, ideas, how to move forward. Thank you for the beautiful opening. We're going to start first with a good friend of mine, Mordechai Kassirer, who's a retail owner here in Lakewood. And uh, just a general, not talking about Mordechai, just in general, obviously anybody in the retail business now knows uh, not exactly the best season the last few months. Um, Mordechai sells, you know, very uh, upscale China and gifts, you know, especially during Yamta time. It's, uh, it's been a definitely challenging thing. And I want to hear from him a perspective of what he thinks is going on and some different chizik. Mordechai, please take it away. Evening. Uh, thank you, Coach Menachem, for your opening remarks. Thank you, Asher, for hosting. And of course, thank you, Mr. Friedman, for uh, coming on to be Mechazakas and give us some direction. Thank you, Mr. Heinemann. So my wife and I have a store called Set Your Table, and we sell upscale china, dinnerware, and gifts. Our busiest times of the year are the weeks preceding Purim through Pesach. We do lots of Purim gifts, lots of corporate gifting, and then we move straight into the Pesach season where people need flatware, dinnerware, and anything that people not like to have on a nice Seder table. As we get closer to Pesach, many people go away for Yantav, and they want to buy a nice gift for the people that are hosting them for Yantav. So that's another big part of our business. Baruch Hashem, we had a very good perm season, and, and then the coronavirus hit. But I just want to give you a little bit of background, a bit about my company, and you can know where we, where, where we came from and exactly where we were, when we were hit with the coronavirus. And Baruch Hashem, how, if I can say how we made it through, with Hashem's help. My wife started the business about 13 years ago in our, in our dining room. We moved to our basement, and if... A short while later, we were on the street in Chateau Plaza in Lakewood. We had a nice um, small shop for about close to 10 years. Last summer, we moved into a 3,000-foot um, square foot showroom in the New Avenue shops in Lakewood. Obviously, a nice, beautiful, upscale shopping experience. And uh, we exemplified, if I can say, the retail experience, the brick-and-mortar retail experience. The personal, the personal service that you get in, in a brick in a brick and mortar store, the the relationship you get with the merchants. Um, there's hardly ever a time that you'll come into the store where either myself or my wife aren't there. Our employees are known and friendly to the people, so it's a real brick and mortar experience. And um, we Baruch Hashem built up a nice client base over the years, and um, our 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 business moved to a spot where we were able to invest and move forward into this, um, this new showroom. We we're obviously looking forward to the first Purim and Pesach seasons in the, new, in the new shop. When I went into retail about 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago, my father-in-law told me of Art from the Miller. 
Victor Milzatzal said, if you want to know where to get a Munan Betachin, then you have to go to a retailer. Retailers have that experience on a daily basis. You have to deal with customers actually walking into your shop, coming in, being happy with the merchandise you're selling them, and then moving on. Unlike other businesses where there is a client base in a, in a, in a retail setting, it's so much more where you see the actual Amuna Betachin. You can have a quiet day in the winter and then a good, good, good customer walks in towards the end of the day and that changes the entire day. And um, retailers feel that. So we went into this, to, this to, the, to the coronavirus knowing that Hashem is, is, is um, running the world and he had the plan from Rosh Hashanah that this should be the season. Just to give some practicals, as soon as the coronavirus hit, we realized that we're not we're not able to sell the way we, we, sold, we sold in the past. Our customers were calling, I need this fiantiv, I need that fiantiv. Whereas in the past we were selling, if I, if I could say extras, I want an extra thing, all of a sudden we had people that needed flatware fiantiv, they never made Pesach, they don't have dishes, they don't have, they don't have glasses. And um, my wife and I realized we have to pivot and start offering our product in a different way. We didn't have the, 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 the ability to open a website at that time, which is a discussion for a different time. But we expanded our, our, our digital selling very quickly. Uh, we, we, we set up a business WhatsApp, um, business texting. Besides the, the text and the WhatsApp that I was getting, my personal cell phone number, my, my wife's number was getting the, lots of text WhatsApps. We had to keep track because we have some employees that have texts and WhatsApp. And you have people DMing you on, it, on Instagram, and you have to make sure that you're getting all those texts and the nature of a text, like when we all send a text or a WhatsApp, we expect the response rightfully so very quickly, and our customers want to know, is it taken care of? But we, 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 we were able to send customers pictures, send, do you like this, do you like that, show me, show me something else, and um, quick delivery service. Um, we, we, we have the ability to offer very quick delivery, and uh, we were freer with our delivery charges so started, instead of the, 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 the regular $10 delivery, sometimes we, fee, we, we've, we waived that fee for some customers depending on the purchase or what was going on because we knew the customers can't get out and they just want to get the item. So if I could say we, we Baruch Hashem survived the Pesach season. After Pesach, when Corona started receding, if I can say, I, I noticed that people are Baruch Hashem eager to move on with their normal lives. And they want to shop. And um, as it's getting, people are calling, are you opening? Are you opening? Is the store open? Can, 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 can you help us? Can you help us over the phone? And I don't know if people's financial situations have settled and got, or gotten better, but I see that people do have a desire to continue that retail experience. And um, I could say, Baruch Hashem, the weeks preceding Shavuos, people wanted those gifts. They wanted their floral arrangements. They wanted new vases. Just to get back into that retail setting was, was encouraging for us, but we, we, we were happy to be able to provide that service to our customers over the phone with texting, curbside pickup, and, and the likes. Um, we had opportunities, some, some callers called if they can have a, a personal appointment, which we had set up, obviously, with social distancing. But we, we had a caller in the store last weekend. Usually when I ask the colleagues, like, so when do you need the dishes? They're like, oh, we're not going to be home for the first few weeks. So the mother's like, 
We might serve a wedding on this china. We don't know yet, so please make sure that we have it, and um, we'll enjoy we'll, we'll enjoy it by the wedding, if not by the Shabbos Shabbos. Um, it's certainly different. It's certainly new. We're, we're, we're treading new orders, but I, I do think that as we open up, people have a tremendous desire to to get back to to the normal, in in in, in a, hopefully in a more healthy way, but to continue supporting the economy and for the local retailers that's um that should be a big chizik for the mom moms and pop out there you know running their own retail shops thank you that was really uh really nice um next we have up mr yaman heineman one of lakewood's uh top businessmen i would say and um i feel like again the reason why he came on the program and offered is i feel he has a real pulse on lakewood being you know being having a publication in lakewood and all the retailers Pretty much advertising with him, he really knows what's going on. Rabbi Yaman, please talk. Good evening. The pressure is on. Join the club. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. Noshi, as I said before, watching you every week, you're having too much fun. Way too much fun. Yeah, thank you, Coach Menachem. I admire your sage advice, your calmness, and your amazing smile. Keep it up. You're an inspiration for us all. As was said, uh, people who are following this in the past, they're featured uh, therapists. Um, I'm definitely not one and can't help you in that area. This week they decided they want to go onto the business forum and talk more about business, but then they told me that I have to talk about, gear my speech towards spirituality. Now. I am definitely not qualified to give any spiritual lectures. I'm a simple businessman trying to do my best. But honestly, the exercise was an interesting one, and I'm definitely happy to share some of what I have come across with you. Definitely have to start by recognizing uh, the devastation and the loss, so many dear ones, so many great people, as well as the loss of business, and unfortunately, even some businesses that are lost forever. As a business owner, I can tell you firsthand that it was a tremendous loss. Immediately when it hit, I had to furlough most of my staff. My invitation department is the first one that came to a screeching halt. I have nine employees in that apartment department that went from 10,000 to zero in a matter of minutes. I know how it feels. It's rough. And then came pace-off season. And some of us wait for it. We were closed for a week and a half to pace up. We have to make up money beforehand and afterwards. We all lost tremendously. It's been very, very difficult. But I think as Yidin, we have to know, and we do know, that this is all from Hashem. Hashem's talking to us, and we have to understand what he's saying. But there's one thing for sure. He is still our Avinu Sheva Shemaim. He's our merciful Father, and he's watching over us. We have to believe, and we have to know. At the end of the day, there's not one of us that will make one penny less than what was written in for us on Rosh Hashanah for this year. Hashem is watching of us. He will not forsake us. For some, he will force us out of a bad or losing business for something better. For others, it will be rebuilding stronger and better businesses. But it's all going to be for our good. If there's one blatant message that I've learned 
come to realize that's very clear to me. Anybody who's running a business, whoever thought, that's my might or anything that I've done that brought me anything that I have, it's all out the window right now. Tremendous lesson. All our businesses came to a screeching halt. Things that we never dreamed can ever happen. The travel, hotels, whatever it may be, all done. And um, despite the greatest CEOs or amazing managers, it's only Hashem who runs everything. And it's really a good thing because if we're in charge, it would not be so good. During this time, I've learned a few things. Number one is to really appreciate every customer. When a customer comes in, we always appreciated our customers. But how much did we appreciate them or how much do we express it? Now when someone comes in and gives me an order, I say, thank you very much. I really mean it. We need every bit of business that's out there and everything really counts. We went from nothing and we're rebuilding Baruch Hashem. But we really have to be so grateful and thankful to every bit of business and not take any bit for granted, and of course, to thank Hashem every day. The local paper, I think it's the Lakewood Shopper who has a campaign of shop local. I think that's so important. If we keep our money locally, if I give my money to the grocery store, who pays his car limits to the schools, who paid the rabbeim, who can go give their money to the mechanic, who can keep this money rolling and back to the mechanics and back to the, to the grocery stores, money that's kept in our community stays in our community and it's so important, to, especially during this time, to be mechazik and to keep that money there so that we can keep having it and get tzedakah and so on and so forth. Every dollar that goes to Walmart or Target is gone from this community for who knows, forever. They're never giving any money back to us. So that's the really important thing that I, that I feel. Number two, I do feel that this time that Hashem gave us is really a gift and an opportunity. I've been in business Baruch Hashem for 30 years. The wheels of business are turning and churning and we're trying to keep up with everybody and everybody. You never have that real chance to like just stop and try to figure out where to take your business, look at your business again. What, I've been, what have I been doing for 30 years that perhaps should change because times have changed or are not so good anymore? When all business came to a screeching halt, I'm able to stop and concentrate and look at my business and say, okay, Let's try to change this. Let's fix that. Let's do something else. It's time to fix, update, restructure. I was very happy to see some, some companies already started rebranding. Some were remodeling, coming up with a new business plan. This is what to do with this time. Hashem's giving us the time now to re-energize and to come out even better, which is really something that, um, that we have to always think about in the positive way. Be energized and, and positive. Don't think how will my business survive this pandemic, but think how much stronger will my business be when we get out of this? And we have to use that time and this gift very wisely to be, rebuild, educate and refocus what we have. There's no better time now than to get some more education, to learn, to teach. Who doesn't need a good brush up in learning Excel or Word, or even understanding, learning more about marketing. I'm not asking you to spend the money right now, but 
understand the difference between branding and marketing. There are so many courses out there. In fact, Ocean County College has courses now that are all done through the computer and you don't even need the minimum, just sign up. Most of them are almost nothing. It's not nothing. They have many different links, different, many different things. Definitely something, an opportunity for us to get involved in and to work on. Um, great, great opportunity. Don't, don't miss out on it. I feel confident, even though she perhaps thought differently, uh, but I feel the economy was strong. We had a pandemic, had nothing to do with the economy, the economy and the economy will come back and even Ramosco said it a, minute, a few minutes ago, the people are buying, people are out there. The economy is strong and will continue to be strong. And Amir Hashem, we're gonna be even stronger than ever before. We're gonna bounce back and we're gonna be there in our full strength and our full glory, Amir Hashem. We see the Yad and everything, that I, Yad Hashem and everything all the time. It's a miracle that, um, It's a miracle that the um, printing industry somehow became essential. I'm not even sure why, but it was my miracle. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem was there for me. I was really upset when I didn't get the PPP loan on the first round, and it turned out to be the best thing for me. To have the PPP loan when it first came out, when there was nothing going on, well, it would have been a disaster. Over Pesach, I didn't need the PPP loan. It was afterwards that I got it. Look out for the good things. Hashem is there. Hashem is watching us. And... Any success we have to know is only from Hashem. And uh, we have to just dive in that this will pass very quickly and that we'll learn all the lessons, benefits from all the, from the opportunities and appreciate and thank Hashem all the time. And then we'll surely have much atzlach on Hashem. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Yaman. That was mind-blowing. Beautiful. Harav Yaman. Now, now, now I know that I came to spirituality. Now I know. Okay, Mr. Saul Friedman, how are you? I've been listening. You're listening? Very inspiring words. It was. I wonder if before I was introduced, again, people that just joined now, we have 412 people. I want to say, this is all for me, and I reached out to him to come to be Mechaz He's a person who has over 40 years experience. He's lived through recession, 2009, 2008, 9-11, Corona, Kishmona. He's been through it. He's seen it. He's, he's, he's an accountant for big businesses, but most of his accounts are smaller accounts. I think he has a broader view, not just of Corona, just of the global picture. And that's why I think he was essential to come on for this program. So, so I'll take it away. Good evening, everybody. It's a schuss for me to talk to uh, uh, everybody who's on this uh, conference. Uh, I just like to differ with Rabin Yaman on one thing. He used a, a word which I didn't like. He said there, were, there are people that were wiped out. I don't like that word. Let me explain to you how I categorize this. And I have some of my children are on here. They'll probably be bored because they heard me say this a hundred times. Uh, so I'm not making this up now. Uh, I consider this a dip. I don't say it's a recession. I don't say it's a depression. I don't use wipeout. It's a dip. In life, in your life cycle and business, and I'm talking about business, there are dips. It's like taking a dip in the pool. You go down and then you come right up. It's, it's just a natural, a natural thing. And this is what happened here. Just to give you an example of uh, why I don't even consider this a very, very large dip. Uh, we've had worse times in the past 40, 50 years that I've lived through in the business world. Uh, who, um, who of you uh, remember standing in line for an hour and a half by the gas station to get one gallon of gas? And that happened in 1973. 
I don't believe you, uh, Usher. Uh, Mark, maybe. Um, or, or, I like to give this uh, 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 riddle to people. Uh, it's, it's very well known that uh, President Trump owns a building called 40 Wall Street. It's about a million square feet of office space. He bought it, I think, in the late 80s, very early 90s, when we had the RTC, which is another Pasha. Things were very bad. Uh, it's a million square feet, and I always like to ask, what do you think he paid for that building? Does anybody care to give a guess of what you think he paid for that building in, in the late 80s? Well, the actual number is, he at closing, he didn't pay a penny. He got a, a reserve, a bank reserve of $135 million was in the account, in that LLC account. So he got $135 million for taking over that building. That's how bad things were then. Uh, so things really can get bad in such a way where it doesn't uh, turn back right away. It takes a long, long time for it to turn. Uh, another example. Uh, at that time, the prime interest rate was 22.5%. 22.5%. So if a bank was lending you at two over prime, they were almost touching usury. Because if you hit 25%, then the whole contract is, is void because it's called usury. So the banks used to have a provision in there saying that in case our rate together with the uh, finance charges or anything else hits over 25%, we're reducing it automatically, you're getting a refund. That's how bad things were then. Uh, even earlier speaking, I always tell people, uh, my father, uh, uh, who was not here already 26 years, he used to buy my mother a present at their anniversary, which came out around Hanukkah time. But we were very, very poor living in the Lower East Side. So how did he have money to do that? Well, he thought ahead. And on top of the refrigerator or the icebox, I don't remember which it was, uh, he had a little cup, not a plastic cup because there was no plastic then. He had a cup. And every time he had a couple of pennies in his pocket, like loose change, he threw it into the cup. At the end, Hanukkah time, he emptied out. I remember this every year. He emptied out. And if he had in there $4, $5, $3.5, whatever he had, he went with that to a jewelry store or whatever and bought my mother a gift. So he was planning ahead. So the purpose of my speaking today is to give you some helpful hints that in case something like this happens, you are not wiped out. A yid is not supposed to be put in a position that if the unthinkable or the unpredictable happens, he gets wiped out. Because getting wiped out is a terrible thing not only for himself, for his wife, his children, his amuna, his learning, everything gets affected by being wiped out. So you have to plan ahead that in case this happens again, now you can say, well, what can happen? What can really happen again? Who thought what would happen in February, in March, and who thought in February what would happen in March and in April? And who knows what's gonna happen tomorrow? And the next day, with all the riots going on, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen. You have to be in a position, and I'm begging you all, you have to be in a position that if you have, if there is another dip, that you should be ready for it and not get wiped out. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to lose money. You will lose money. 
because that's what happens. But a yid cannot get wiped out. You have to plan ahead. So what I want to do is before we do the questions and answers, I just want to run through a couple of things that I always tell everybody. I tell it to my children. I tell it to myself. This is the way I did things over the years. And when these dips happen, and trust me, I had two or three dips in my career, in my business career, uh, even though I consider myself a smart accountant and no business, but you still fall into traps sometimes and you, and you lose a substantial amount of money. But there was never a situation. Uh, my wife used to ask me when things were really bad in certain times, do we have, if all this, if I lose all this money that I've invested in a certain investment, we will, will we still have what to eat? In other words, it was her way of saying, are we going to get wiped out? And I always told her, I, Baruch Hashem, I'm planning in such a way that bagashmis, I'm not talking baruchmis, you do mitzvahs so you don't get wiped out, Hashem looks after you. For that, go to a rabbi, go to a rav, or go to a mashpia, and he's going to give you all the bruchas. You come to me, I tell it to you straight, the way it should be. So let's start. It's, it's not in any order. It's not in any order. I just jotted down some things to give you some uh, little pieces of, of, of advice or little pieces of procedure of how you should behave. So if this happens again, uh, you should not get, uh, you should be able to survive the dip. I believe that every younger man who's working should strive before he starts making all these fancy uh, mitzvahs and all these fancy uh, investments and everything else, I think that we must have in a bank account, in secure, in a money market or mutual funds or whatever, four years of savings. It should be there. Four years of your need. For instance, if you need at a minimum to live from $100,000 a year, you should strive that in a certain amount of time, you should put away $400,000 that cannot be used for investments. It cannot be used for, for weddings. It can, it's, it's made for emergency time. So if God forbid something happens, uh, a financial catastrophe, a medical catastrophe, a mental cap uh, catastrophe, pr uh, other problems, and you have to stop working or you go out of business, at least you have savings that you can survive for four years. That's my opinion. This is what I tell everybody. One of the things that help along this is to try in your business, or if you're an employee somewhere, try to get a, a, a pension plan or a 401k. That forces you to save money. That could be used towards that four-year savings plan that you should have. Because in the worst case, if you have to pull out the money, there are ways you can pull out the money that there is no uh, uh, special penalty in certain cases. Uh, and even if you have to pay the penalty, but at least you're not going to be wiped out. So you should have, uh, you should try to have a pension plan or a 401k. You don't put away a lot of money, but that should be your goal. You should sit down once a year with yourself. And I prefer if you do it with your wife, sit down and you make yourself a budget. What do I mean by budget? You don't have to be so fancy. And, and figure out every dollar what you're, what you're going to spend. 
But you say, you know, we're going to live now. We have, Baruch Hashem, X amount of children. We have tuition. We know what we spent for groceries. We know what we spent for, for camps and everything else and clothing. And the reason I say to do this together with your wife is because a lot of Yimgalite that I see uh, don't, don't tell their wife much about what's going on in their business. First, that's wrong. She should know. And second of all, it's like an added control both ways. Because if your wife wants to buy a dress for $1,000 and you say you can't afford it, she probably thinks you don't want her to get the dress. So you say you can't afford it. Of course you can afford it. If you can go to a restaurant and have a meal uh, and spend $700, why can't you get a dress? But if she knows your finances and she's going to see what you can afford and what you can't afford, she's going to believe you. And it's going to be like a double check. It's going to be a check in case that issue of a dress comes up. And it's going to be a check also on you in case you want to spend $700 in in reserve cut for two people. So you should sit down and make yourself a budget that you should know what you're going to spend this year. And if, if you're really too much ahead of what you said, you have to check. You have to, you have to sit down and say, hey, I got to stop. I can't do this. One of the biggest problems in Goliath have, and the old timers usually don't have that, is credit cards. Today, it's easy. You charge everything. People have, I see sometimes people come in and they have like 50 credit cards. That is t- terrible, horrible to have. You should only charge on credit cards what you know you're going to pay back when you get the bill, pay it back in full. If, for instance, you're buying uh, uh, something, uh, furniture of a large amount of uh, uh, a big purchase, and you want to do that by credit card, okay, that's an exception. But to live without a cheshman just on credit cards, okay? And most people say, you know why I buy it on credit cards? I want points. Okay, so what are points? Points I use to fly somewhere. Now, how many times are you going to fly with your points? Everything is the points, the points, the points. First of all, I don't even have time to check on points and what I can do with it. You have to be a lady gay, in my opinion, that you're going to deal in that and try to figure out which, which is a better point and which is a better card. I find the best way to do it, I have a Capital One card, pays you 2% on what you purchase. I only use that card. I pay it back every month. I know I get 2%. Most cards you don't get, you get 1.6, 1.5. Here you get 2%. You get the money. You don't have to worry about points. You don't need 100 credit cards and borrowing from here and there. Because what you do is you only become a balchoy. You, you're spending more than you, than you have, and that's not good for you. Another thing to do, again, against the wipeout, what I call the wipeout. Or what, I mean, Rabbi Yuma called the wipeout. I called the dip. When my children were born, and my Einikluch, and Abraham Hashem for my, my ear Einikluch, I opened an account for them. You can start an account with $500, even with $200. You open an account. And, and every time you want to, comes a Purim, comes a Hanukkah, you want to give the kids something, instead of giving it and spending it on toys, you give it to them in, into their account. And trust me, it grows. I started with my Einikluch. Today, Baruch Hashem, they have a significant amount of money, but I only use it for that. They have a significant amount of money to put a down payment for a house. And they know that that's what it is. I want them to have a house. My father, Rabbi Shalom, also wanted us to have 
houses, and that's what the money is used for. So start very small. Even if you, if you put in $10 a month for each child, you're saving, you're doing something in order that they should also learn that it's good to have a, 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 an account with a cheshbon. Now, one of the things that I like to do is, even though I consider myself sophisticated and I know all these things, but you cannot, you cannot solve your own problems. Each of you, if you come across a problem that you don't know, I'm talking a financial problem. It goes with any problem. Find a disinterested third party to get his opinion whether it's a friend, whether it's a, a business associate, somebody who's really looking out for, the, for, for your benefit, who's disinterested. You know, sometimes asking a son what to do if, when you'll get older, you'll have children that are older and you can ask their advice. They might have some ideas to what's going on. Uh, you have a disinterested third party that you can ask to steer you in the right direction in case some of these things don't, uh, uh, don't work out. What I want to sum up, what I want to sum up is as follows. Let me give you a statistic that I have noticed in the past 46 years that I've, I've been having, uh, that I have my firm, Saul Friedman and Company. I can categorically tell you, without exception, that I have never yet seen a successful business without a great set of books. That does not mean that if you have a great set of books that you're going to be successful. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to you, I don't, I have never encountered from our hundreds of clients that we have anybody who's really successful who doesn't have a, a great set of books. Now, I'm not here adv advocating to have a great set of books, but what, what is the reason behind this? Because in order to be, in order to have a great set of books, you have to be you have to be an organized person. If you have a bank account and then you have another bank account and you start taking from one bank account to the other bank account and you borrow from this credit card and you go to your friend and you tell him, can I use your credit card? You can't have a good set of books. To, do, to have a good set of books, you really have to be an organized person and organized financial uh, um, practices in order for that to happen. Once you have that and you're living with a cheshman, both from a, a, a point of view of uh, your own personal budget, and the same thing is with the budget of your business, that you know what you're doing uh, and, and everything is going with a cheshman, it's gonna be far easier to be successful. So even with businesses, a lot of the things that I said before about businesses, um, uh, about personal, also is applicable to businesses. Um, for instance, if you conduct your business in an organized way, and this alone could be a whole, we can talk about it for a week, and you're showing profits and you're showing nice financials and you're dealing with a bank and you have a good relationship with a bank and you have a line of credit and you have uh, uh, offices that, bank offices that you can speak to, comes a time like this most bankers are going to understand and they're going to help you. 
I, in our firm myself, when I saw COVID coming and I wanted to pay all my people every week, I didn't, even though they didn't come into work, I still believed that I should pay them. I went to my bank and I took out a loan that covers three weeks of payroll before I had uh, the PPP. Somebody mentioned he didn't get it the first time. Uh, we also didn't get it the first time because a shoemaker goes with the uh, torn shoes, you know? So uh, that's the way it was. I was also afraid I'm not gonna get it. But I was ready for it because I had a bank to work with and they said, and not only that, I have mortgage payments. I called them, what could you do for me? The next 90 days, there's no mortgage payments. We had the line of credit payments. If you, have, if, if you behave with a bank and you're doing the right things, you, you have somebody to work with, so at least the business should not go down the drain. And let's put it this way. Because, uh, again, this is another topic, we've done a lot of, in the P, a lot of research in the, the PPP project, and we're in the middle of doing research in the forgiveness. By the way, just a helpful hint, anybody that tells you anything today about the forgiveness program, don't even listen. Anybody who tells you anything doesn't know what he's talking about because the regulation did not come out yet. They're going to be changed over and over again, like the PPP was just changed in a very significant way, which just passed last week. So whatever they're telling you now is not a not big enough commitment because things are gonna change. But in the PPP program itself, they just extended the eight weeks to 24 weeks. In other words, you, you, even though you didn't have people, but once you start taking back people, even if you take only a few at a time, you have till the end of the year, if 60% if of, of the money that you got is going to be for payroll, meaning the, the two and a half times payroll you got for the PPP program, you have 24 additional weeks, meaning uh, uh, 24 weeks to come up with 60% of the versus 75, 60% of that money for payroll. So I think if it's handled the correct way, a lot of businesses, will have a, a, a little bit of a profit from the PPP, which would cover not only the rent and not only the utilities and not only the interest payments which are made for, but there's gonna be some even left over because a lot of these employees that you're going to rehire, they're not gonna be there rehired for nothing. They're gonna be doing things, which is gonna bring in business. So it's not gonna be a total loss and you'll, you'll be able to have some money left over to cover some of the losses. Now, if you run a substantial business and you really had losses because of COVID-19, they also passed in Congress, as I'm just saying for the business people that are out there, that you could take the 2020 loss from COVID and deduct it in 2019. So if you didn't file your 2019 return yet, and even if you did, you probably can do an amended return, you could take the loss. Let's say you, you lost uh, $200,000 during the COVID period for specific losses. Instead of deducting it in 2020 when it happened, which means you won't, be, you won't pay taxes, you could move it over to 2019. And if you owed taxes in 2019, because it was a good year, you can reduce that loss by 2019, on the 2019 year. So that's all very helpful. So I, uh, I uh, just want to leave you with the final word that I want to leave you with, and then you can fire away questions. I can be on all night. It's my pleasure to do this. 
uh, I had a client that uh, unfortunately he died at a very young age. And when he, I went down for an interview, so to speak, he wanted to know if he, if, 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 if we're compatible as a accountant client, he said to me, look, uh, I know you have a lot of experience. Let me tell you what I need from you. I need one thing from you. I need to learn from your client's mistakes. I don't want to learn from my own mistakes. I want to learn from Saul Friedman's client's mistakes. In other words, what he's saying, if you have somebody to speak to who's gone through this, who's made mistakes or seen clients make mistakes and how it was rectified or how it was pre prevented, that's what you have to learn from. And this is what I'm trying to do here. If you do some of the things that I suggested, one day you're gonna to come to me. I had a guy walked into a wedding and this guy hugs me and kisses me and whatever. We're not even close. It's not even a big client. And he says to me, I have to thank you for making this wedding. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? I just came to the chuppah. He says, you are the main mechutten here. You put me into a 401k and I cashed out of my 401k a, a, a piece of it. And with that, I made this wedding. Had I not listened to you, it never would have happened. So sometimes people listen. I have no interest whether you follow this or you don't follow it, other than giving satisfaction to myself that I helped somebody. So Hashem should help. Uh, you can go for all the brachas to your Yerubayim and to Rosh Yeshivas and to all of them, but I'm giving you how you have to be established. Nobody is wiped out. Nobody should be wiped out. We're a dip. A dip in the pool. You make a little dip, then you come out of the pool and you're back where you were. Thank you all for listening. I'm ready to tackle questions, but only those that I have answers to. I'm not going to make up answers, and I'll tell you if I don't know. Thank you very much. Wow, that was uh, Finances 101. Okay, we have a lot of questions coming in. Um, obviously, everybody who, who could turn on the camera wants to ask a question will go first. Before we do that, let's take a little break. Let me take a little poll over here <clears throat> just to get a feel from the crowd. Yeah, everybody ready? All the answers anonymous. You have nothing to worry about. We just want to get a feel from the crowd. Have you been affected financially by COVID-19? You have three options. Either click on yes, no, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't want to think about it. Option number two, if yes, if Itake got affected by COVID, are you prepared to deal with the aftermath of COVID-19 virus? So, let's see what happens here. You should have one before my talk or after the talk. Obviously. Okay, five, four. Come on, two more seconds. Click the button. Keep on still going. Here we go. 64% of people have been affected by COVID-19 financially. 31% no, 5%, I don't know what they're doing here tonight. If yes, are you prepared to deal with it? So look at this, 56% of people are not ready to deal with it. Are, I'm sorry, are yes ready to deal with it? That's what I'm saying, yes? Wow, I wasn't ready. 30% no, and 31% have no idea what will need to be dealt with. They're not sure yet. Interesting number? Because the question is vague. Are you talking medically or are you talking financially? It's a financial question. This is a financial segment. If anybody's answering me uh, medically here, they probably have to see a good therapist. This is a financial session. Yuda, can you answer that question? <laughs> okay. 
Anybody who has live questions, please turn on your thing. And um, for anything, I just want to clarify a few things over here. We're not interested in PPP. If it's good, it's not good. That's not the focus of the segment. It's focuses a business question or a chizik question, not a technical financial question. Anybody who wants a technical financial question, you're more than welcome to, you know, but we're trying to talk more of a global thing. Um, I'm getting a question that's coming. I'm going to ask for Saul first before I, you know, bounce it around. Can you give me an example, something like a 1031 exchange or somebody who has made a mistake that you've seen a mistake? A very good question. I was going to start with this as an example. In all my years, I've been, I've been very much against uh, 1031s. And this leads to one of the things I wanted to say, but I felt it's a long topic and that's why I skipped it. But you asked, let me tell you this. My definition of a 1031, now this is not for people that deal in real estate uh, as a pronouncer. In other words, they keep buying and selling and selling. They constantly have uh, t deals on the table. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking on a guy, he has a multifamily house, uh, two multifamily houses, and he can make a big profit, and he does a 1031. So Saul Friedman's definition of a 1031 is you're selling your property at peak and you're buying crap at peak. That is the definition of a 1031. Uh, because you're rushed and whoever has done 1031s, uh, so let me tell you a little story. So you'll see this was the most significant story that I had with somebody who somebody comes to me and he, he wants consultation and he says, uh, I have a 1031, I want you to handle my 1031. So I said, why are you coming to me? You go to one of the people, to Madison or to other people that do 1031s. So he says to me, well, he sold the property last year. So I said, if you sold the property last year, you got the money, how can you do a 1031? So he says, well, I heard you're an expert. You're going to figure it out. So I said, nah, you can't figure this. You can't do anything about this. So I sat with him an hour. He happened to have a $14 million capital gain, $14 million. And he was going to invest the entire proceeds, about $20 million. He was going to invest in some big shopping center or big, I don't know, some very, very big property. I sat with him and I said, look, you're 38 years old. You're soon going to make weddings for kids, this and that. I said, look, the tax will be, let's say, $2.5 million. So you're going to be left with $11 million, let's say, net. Here's what I suggest you do. Take $5 million of the $11 million, take it off the table. Put it into something else. Keep it away from real estate. Take it off the table. Your $6 million, buy yourself, do whatever you want to do. Like this, you pay the tax, you don't do a 1031, you have enough time to do it, and you'll know you have $5 million, because I was talking about somebody is about to marry off kids, and somebody has a high lifestyle, let him have it. Yeah, thank you for your advice. He says to me, send me a bill. Of course, I don't send bills for things like this. About two years later, I remember I went to the Continental Hall in Williamsburg for a wedding, and I meet the guy that recommended me this client. So I say to him, you know, I haven't heard from this guy a long time. Uh, how's he doing? I'm just curious how he's doing. He says, he points, turns around, and on Hayward Street, there is a, a supermarket. I don't know if you've been there. There's a, a big supermarket. He says he's a cashier in the supermarket today. I said, what do you mean? He says, you know what happened to this guy? He bought the property. 
The property was a dud. He lost all the money. He had an IRS audit. The IRS came back and said, this was not a 1031. Therefore, you have to pay taxes on the $14 million that you made. Of course, he didn't have any of the money. He had to file personally bankrupt. And then what could he, what could he do? He didn't have a profession. He, he, wasn't, uh, he didn't have a pronos in his hand, a fach, like they used to call a fach. He didn't have it. So he became a cashier. He's making $16 an hour. So uh, you asked me about 1031s. Instead of doing a 1031, take some money off the table first, and then buy property like a mensch when the time is right. Thank you very much. Good story. Okay, uh, I think Charlie Arari's on. Charlie, are you on? I'm on. Hi, thank you for coming. Of course, pleasure. We have 500 people here and 450 people, and everybody wants to attack you with questions. What should I do? <laughs> That's a nice chus. How do Thank I do it? Should, should, I, should I raffle it to the highest bidder? Uh. <laughs> Just joking around. So let, let's, can I, can I start shooting questions at you? Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's give you a little recap. We're dealing financial. We have Saul Freeman as a top accountant. We have a few business owners on from Lakewood. It's a Lakewood crowd. Everybody financially is doing very hard. And we feel now that we're trying, obviously there's a business part of it and there's a chizik part of it. So we're really just trying to tackle both angles. And uh, I really thank, I'm really thankful that you came on. I'm going to put the first person on. That's okay with you? Yeah, of course. Baruch Brog, you have a question? Hi, Charlie. How are you? Thanks Hi. for having me by time. I appreciate it a lot. So I built my business three years ago. You know, I was finally starting to make a profit, and now it's back to zero. I lost it all. You know, yes, I know Hashem runs the world, and this is a test. But how am I supposed to not be anxious and rely on him if I can't pay my bills, my rent, and uh, my workers. Great question. So let me make sure I understand your question properly. You, you have a business that you want. It's going well. Um, when things are going well, of course, the Kodesh Baruch who's delivering for you, so things are amazing. Now things aren't going well, so what's up? Like, you're supposed to deliver for me, Hashem. Like, this is how it works. You deliver for me. And when you deliver for me, we're good. And once you stop delivering for me, we got problems. So, great question. And not only that, I'm happy you asked it because lots of guys feel it, but they don't articulate it. So I'm happy that you're articulating it. This is a, this is a major, fundamental um, piece of our Yiddishkeit. When we grow up in a world, um, and everyone has this to some extent, it's a relationship that's called Yiras HaOnesh, in which... We grow up, we don't really want to be doing mitzvot. Like, if we could be honest, like, we don't really want to daven. We really want to not daven. Like, we, we're pumped for no tachron. Like, what's a greater simcha in the world when we had shul than, like, Bay's Nissan? Like, go to any shul in North America when we were going to shuls. Like, when Bay's Nissan come and, like, the Balt field, it's like, oh, when he went, like, everyone's like, skadal, 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 until finally, like, what's going on? Is there a chassan? No. Is it a bris? No. It's Nissan, and guys are like calculating, it's Nissan, that means I don't say Tachon for a month, and if it falls out on a Monday or a Thursday, what's a greater joy to a guy than no Tachon on a Monday or a Thursday, right? I mean, if we, if we can cut out Shemona Esrei, it would be even better. Who wants to daven? But we have to, because we were little, they told us, if you don't daven, God's going to spiritually zap you or something, and we bought it, and we bought it. It's called Yiras HaOnesh. 
right? It's great. It's the beginning of Leish of the Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's the first building block. When you're little, it's called consequence. When you get a four-year-old in the street, you can explain to him about cars and velocity. You're going to say, listen, you go and shoot again, I'm going to hit you. Why? Because I need to, you to know that you can't go into this space. You only, you're little, you only understand consequence. You don't understand depth. For lots of people, the relationship to the Kodesh Baruch Hu is a relationship of Yiras HaOnesh. I don't really want to be doing stuff. I don't really want to connect to you. I don't really feel you in my life. I don't really appreciate that the energy of my life is a mamish. It's literally a piece of Hashem. In truth, what you are is you're the provider. You're Amazon.God. I'm a Jew. I don't like waiting online. The rest of the world's got to call Amazon. I get to go back door. I get to open up a book and say some Tehillim and all of a sudden I get like spiritual goodies. And when we begin our lives that way, and if we don't upgrade our relationship to the Kurdish Baruch Hu, to levels called Yiras Haromus or Avas Hashem, which is a whole discussion if you guys want to have another time, what ends up happening is as long as life is good, we're good. Because it's Yiras HaOnesh, so if I don't get punished, it makes sense. But the minute good people start not getting stuff, the whole relationship breaks down. Because the only relationship really was, it was like a master to a servant. It was what you deliver for me. So I'll answer it in two ways. Number one, if you live a life and the relation to the Kodesh Baruch was Yerusha Onesh, you're only living a, a hundredth of the joy of Yiddishkeit. The joy of a Yid is not Hashem give me money. The joy of a Yid is I have Hashem. I have Hashem. Like, I got my dad, who was the creator of the universe. That is so much greater than money. I had a lady one time at a, at a lecture come to me and she said, we, 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 I talk about this a bunch. So like, we, this was about this. And she said to me that she was a very successful attorney. And she had a lot of brothers and sisters, and her father was a very successful attorney. And her father knew she would be the, the one, the heir apparent. You can imagine. So she was, and she was it. And she was maybe in her 60s. Her father had this big firm, and she took over for him. And her father died two years earlier. And she came to me afterwards, and we were talking about this concept of, of, of Hashem. And she said, you know, my whole life, me and my dad were close, but we were close because of the business. I was really smart. I did great in school. He was a big lawyer. lawyer. I ended up coming in young. We spoke about cases. And her father passed away. She goes, you know, if I had a choice right now between giving up my entire career, everything, Freya, everything, and getting 24 hours with my father, that's it, my whole career, or 24 more hours with my dad, one 24-hour period with my dad, she goes, I would drop my career in a second. When you're a Yid and you say to yourself, I would drop every dime to be able to feel HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in my life for a day, it, the conversation of like, you didn't hook me up or I'm struggling, where am I running to? Where does the kid run to when, when, when you bring him in to get a shot but to his father's arms? If you're feeling this way, welcome to the club. We all have a piece of your ownership in us. And the fact that you can articulate it means that you're a person that is astute enough to be able to think about it in your mind. But now it's giving you the ability to say, I don't want this. I don't want a relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu that's only going to be determined based on whether he delivers for me financially. 
I want a relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu where I feel Him with me all the time. I'm a chelak ilokami mal. I have a piece of Hashem inside me. That's like like an 11 year old telling my dad, like, if you don't give me dinner, I'm leaving. Where are you going? The father's gonna be like, what? Where are you going? How can you leave Hashem? If you leave Hashem, you, you disintegrate. But it's bigger than that. That's what this period of time is all about. This period of time is all about is saying, it's, this is a time of Yechidus. Kodesh Baruch was like, get it, go home. Because the only people that go home are family members. The only people that are alone in their house are husbands and wives, are family. Kodesh Baruch was saying, I need you to be family now. Don't just be the guy collecting a check. How do you do it? It's, it's a lot of work. But you have to first want it. If you don't do every, I'm going to give you like a, a prescription. This is straight out of Rabbi Nachman. Every single day of your life, if you want to change your relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu is, 15, 20 minutes before you start your day, speak to Hashem. Sit down, cup of coffee, you and your dad. Every day. Hashem, I'm dying over here. Come on. You're my dad. Can you help me with this? I'm sorry for doing this. Husband and wife, they got to talk. Dad and child got to talk. Start talking to the Kodesh Baruch a little bit. Start asking him for a real relationship. And what you'll find is that whether he delivers for you or not, you're going to realize that the most valuable thing you have in your life is the schus, that you are the Ben Melech. And when you start to feel the pride of what it means to Ben Melech, you'll see the business will be different. It'll come, won't come, I can't predict that. But you'll be walking around with a certain level of pride of being a prince that'll transcend how much, whatever money you have. Wow, thank you. Shkayach for that question. Thanks for your courage. Ready for the next one? Ready. God's help. I don't know. I hope this is a, big, a general question, and it's a lot okay. of people have this question, so we're going to try to generalize it. Okay. So, okay. I'm working hard to make my pardasa. I wake up 8 in the morning. Sometimes, you know, I work from 9, 10 at night. I'm trying to come up with every different types of way to make money. I'm trying to survive. My friends tell me that I live on high standards. I don't think so. I'm still happy. When the situation hit the world, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Everything stopped to continue. I tried investing into something, but it didn't work. I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm worried. I do not see a way that out. My relationships with all my fake friends are falling apart mm. because I can't face it with no income. Like I was Mr. You know, Mr. I thought I had it all, but now when life hits you and you don't have, you know, you know, as they said, I'll say the joke, Charlie, because you're probably gonna love it. The guy was a millionaire. Sal, you probably know this joke. The guy was a millionaire. Everybody came to for eights, everybody needed advice. He lost all his money, he said, okay, I understand they don't come to me for tzedakah anymore, but what happened? They don't come to me for eights anymore. Charlie, take it away. To side. There's a lot, that, that question's got a lot of pieces to it, Mirza Shem, I should be zoked to answer it well. It's got a lot of pieces. Let's just take piece by piece over here. So the first piece is the piece of losing money. This is a big episode. In, in the world of business, you have to realize that there's a history of successful businessmen. Saul knows much better than I, because he's been doing this, and he knows this in a, in a way that very few people do. We forget sometimes that most successful businessmen have failed an enormous amount of times. Like really successful businessmen. I mean, I was just reading a, a book on Elon Musk, who maybe is the most celebrated entrepreneur today, who has failed at levels that no one can ever even dream. He's, he's lost more money than most people will ever make in, in combined. If you go back to the, to the, to the, to the Zadis, to like, you know, the Masora, the Vanderbilts, and the Rockefeller, if you, if you do your homework, and your mom is holding in business, and your mom is getting into, not just like the, the, the cover of Inc. magazine, like the real stuff, if you're really metopil in the Indian of business, you'll find 
that almost every successful individual has had moments of walls, had had moments of difficult times, had moments in which everything was going. I personally spent many years at a very large real estate company. I was Zoha when I was young to be in the inner circle of a successful CEO. And I've watched him almost lose the empire multiple times. And if he would have, it would have been devastating. The, the difference between individuals that are successful over the long run isn't based on the money in the market. It's not based on whether or not you're going through a once in a generation market correction or, or disruption based on a virus that nobody knew about. The difference is whether or not when things go down, do you hit the pillow? It's a, it's, it's, it's a matter of personal strength. And it's not just in business, it's in life. If we walk around, some people walk around, God bless them, it's like it's green lights the whole way through. Someone's basically supporting them until they're old enough. And then at the end of the day, the, the risks aren't high enough so that when they hit their first major wall, it's collapse. And when you look at the lives of great people, whether it's in business or in, in clown, or parents that are raising children that are very complicated, you're talking, looking at people that are resilient. Resilience isn't like a nice thing that like we add to it because it's soft. If you don't know how to run a spreadsheet, then maybe you can be resilient. It's exactly the opposite. Resilience is the most important muscle you have to build if you want to be successful for the long term. Because even when you're successful, people are going to knock you off your porch or try to knock you off your perch. The difference between people that make success over time and not is not the circumstances. It's what happens when they are up against challenge. We, for those of you who know, I do a show every morning called The Daily Boost. Uh, before I leave, I'll post, I'll post it on the thing for those who want. And we do this, we do this because three weeks ago, we started realizing that people don't have the, the skills to understand the, the mind. So every day for 20 minutes, 9 to 9, 20 live. And then we post it later on Instagram and whatnot. We, we do this. So this is a long discussion. This isn't, I don't want to just gloss over this. But understand that the power, the, the, the muscle called your mind needs to be sharpened every day. Every day, the most valuable... Your soul and your brain are your most valuable muscles. If you're not working them every day, even if you're brilliant, even if you have a lot of money in the bank, even if you have a business that's working, ultimately you're, you're, there's, there's, there's an uh, opening in the armor. So the first aspect of that question is, I'm hitting a major wall, how do I not become depressed? And the answer is the connection between walls and depression is made up. There's no need to connect. I'm hitting a wall and I'm depressed. That is an invention that we make when you live in a world and life becomes a little easy. When you go to a gym and someone gives you weights and says, push these till you fail. You don't go, whoa, 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 whoa. Because if I push my muscles and the muscle fails, I'm going to be embarrassed and shul. He'd be like, no, 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 that's the point. We're doing this so that your muscles fail. Because if your muscles fail, then they build back stronger. If something happens in life, and God forbid we are stuck against some level of failure, the idea that that means that I am a failure is a made-up invention that we do in life. It comes because when you come to an very structured environment, you're always competing. But you can't allow that to be your mentality.
We are in a period of time right now that can make you or break you. This is once in a generation, I hope, I hope, Hashem's help. That means that people are going to come out of this broken. And people are going to come out of this bulletproof. And the difference is going to be in your mentality. If you dig to a place where you realize that you're a piece of Hashem and the Kodesh Baruch knows exactly what he's doing, and I don't mean to go back to Rabbi Nachman, but how could you not? And mitzvah which means empowerment. You have to assert your will. You have to be strong. You have to be able to fight through the feelings of I'm not enough. That's made up. That's Yetzirah chirping in your ear because there's nothing better for the Yetzirah than a Jew who is depressed. Because as soon as you're depressed, you can forget davening, you, forget, you can forget your marriage, you can forget being a dad. As soon as they get you to be depressed, you're not enough. The, the chizik is that you're a piece of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And if you don't buy it, you're missing out. Like, you're much missing out. You're playing with, like, you're playing with like a wooden stick. You're not playing with an M16. So the idea that a person goes through challenge and the response to challenge is depression. No, if it's clinical, I'm fine. Go see a doctor. I'm talking about if it's just general. And the response to challenge is disempowerment, then that's a break in the thinking. And the way you do it is, it's complicated. We'll talk, I mean, for those who come in the morning, I did this morning, it's called act as if. The way you have to hijack your conscious brain and basically act as if you sh- who you want to be and then your brain, because of neuroplasticity, which I don't know if we have the time to get into here, neuroplasticity would ultimately... And what was the second part of that question? So, the you question, part? This question what's, what's your opinion? Well, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the things that, uh, you, uh, that this questioner uh, mentioned that uh, jumped out at me. Uh, again, I'm talking purely from the Gashmi's point of view. Probably you'll, you'll, uh, you'll forgive me. Uh, <laughs> not in your line. Um, the, uh, he said, well, some friends say I'm, I might be uh, too high of a living standard, and I don't think so. Um, let me say this to you. I can afford a lot of luxuries in life. After all this work that I did, I can still afford uh, to travel and to have lavish restaurant dinners and whatever. Uh, But uh, we have to learn from this COVID, from this COVID matter. Everybody has to come out of this saying, let me do something a little bit different than I used to do till now because of this COVID mindset. Whether it's, it's because of financial gain or financial strategy or because you want to better your ways and ruchnias, the reasons don't matter. When I walked into, uh, my children took me and my wife uh, a birthday uh, to Reserve Cut. And I have nothing against Reserve Cut. They have great steak. But uh, when I saw five Yingalites sitting at a table, um, and, and then I saw the prices that they charged, so these guys probably spent uh, 1000 to $1,500 for this particular meal. It bothered me very much for two reasons. First of all, what business 
those five or six in the life have to go out to eat and leave their wives home. That's a terrible thing in a marriage, that you have a night out with the boys. Once in a while you want to do it, but that's not the right way to do things. But that's one thing. That's not the topic for today. But what right do you have to spend $1,500 for a meal? And there's so many poor people out there that can't afford Cheerios and milk every day. What are you showing your children? What are you showing your people? What are you showing the next generation? I mean, sorry for jumping in, Paul. Saw one second, Charlie. This is a separate topic. Maybe we'll end with this one. The general thing that theme that we, that we've seen is that the last few years when people are making very quick money, whether it's buying big real estate or nursing homes, the fast cash, the young guys will start making this crazy enormous amount of money. They have favorite spending of flying private, eating out at crazy restaurants, just throwing money on weddings, two, three hundred thousand dollars. That's 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 the topic that Saul wants to hit on a little bit. I, I, I'm about to, I'm cheering for him. I, I want to just make sure I can add that. So Saul, you continue because I'm cheering for you because I, I I'm I'm seeing it from the other side of the impact that it's having, but I, I want to finish your, your thoughts and I want to make sure I could comment as well on it. Hash it out. So, uh, it, it, these people that made this, exactly my point, these people that made this quick money and spent it, okay? Uh, let's talk about the, let's talk about real estate. All real estate deals today are very successful because we have very low interest rates. Let me tell you, it was standard that a, a, a bank interest rate for a mortgage on a commercial piece of property went to 7 8%. And a 7 8% interest for every single piece of real estate that these young people are buying and flipping gets sent back to the bank. It cannot survive. What do you do in a case if this happens? They used to now, they used to, like the Gemara says, if they're used to riding on a white horse, you've got to give them a white horse. But where is there the, the money that's being spent on weddings, the money that's being spent on bar mitzvahs? One wants to outdo the other. They're only doing it because my friend down the block did it. Uh, I've gone to bar mitzvahs, especially, I don't want to knock neighbors, but especially in the five towns. They want to outdo the next guy. They want to show that they can do something. So when they hand deliver you an invitation that probably costs $25 to print each invitation, and it doesn't go by mail, it's being hand delivered for another $10. You're throwing money away in the garbage. I'm not saying you should be stingy. I'm not a stingy person. Baruch Hashem, I take care of many, many people, the people that know me. But just to throw money, like the, you, you're enticing the Aitzahara or the, the somebody to come in here and say, hey, you're such a Balgaiber with your money. You're spending the money and throwing the money around just like this. We're going to show you what can happen. We can show you. I remember when and I... Now 20, my, my, my texts are blowing up now. Everybody's screaming. This is the hottest topic. How everybody is suffering from one another from spending this crazy money. I didn't want to, I didn't want to say it because I don't want to knock people. But let me tell you, when I married off my daughter, and my son-in-law is on here, uh, okay, I don't care if he listens, uh, I decided to do a, a nice wedding. Uh, we did it in the Shalimar. This was like 30 plus years ago. Today she's a papa herself. And it, it was a fair, I didn't do it in a Tereshaya or in, in, in any of those. Sorts. It was a, a little fancy wedding, not in the Hilton, a 
always offends me. I went to ask my rabbi, Kasha Ruz, whoever knew him was privileged to know him. And if you didn't, you should get to know who this person was. I said to him, Rebbe, am I allowed to make a wedding like this? He knows I'm about tzedakah and everything else. Am I, am I? He says, I'll tell you. You're allowed to do whatever you want. There's no iser against doing weddings like this. But if you really want to feel good, here's what you should do. The same night that you're marrying off your daughter, marry off a Yusum or your son. Pay for the wedding. Now, if you did this, if you did this, you can do this. And Baruch Hashem, for all my five children, that's what I did. It has to go with a cheshm. Just to throw money out, strength can get. Now, people that had um, dips now, if they went back in the history and said, look, now I'm, I have nothing, I lost everything. But if I think back the last five years and said, had I not spent this, had I not spent that, had I not thrown up money this way or that way, I would have had a few dollars put together, maybe three, four years of savings that a person should have, and maybe I wouldn't be in the hole. So that's one of the things you gotta, you don't, don't knock out somebody else's eyes to show what you can do different or better. I'm not talking about people that can't afford it. That's criminal. If you can't afford it and you borrow for this, that's mamish criminal. I'm talking about even people that could afford it. Be bashayden, be quiet. Don't, don't do things that people are going to talk. Oh, look at this guy, what a bar mitzvah he made. He had a 20-piece band and four singers and, and whatever, and they were roasting uh, cowboy steaks for everybody. What do you, what, what do you need it for? It doesn't, doesn't do any good. Charlie. Uh, I, I would I would concur. I heard a great vart that I'll never forget. Someone once said to me, one of the most undervalued heroes. The next question or ask because I gotta get the other guys as well. I'm, I'm muted. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. So am I good? I want to share with you a quick vart that I'll never forget. Someone once said to me, the most undervalued hero in Torah is a man named Nisano Ben Suar. Who is Nisan ben Suar? He was the Nasi for Yisachar. Why is he a hero for? Because he was the second guy to bring the dedication to the Mishkan. So, so Nachshon shows up with his stuff. And all of a sudden, the next guy shows up. Then what's the, what would the next guy do? How much did you bring? One kara? Okay, I'll bring two karas. How many oxen did you bring? Ah, you know, I should throw one on. If Nisan would have upped the ante, you know what would have happened by the 12th guy? They would have had to mortgage the whole tribe. Forget about it. They would have, they would have bankrupted the Kali Yisrael. And Saul goes, you know what? Nachshon knows what he's talking about. Like, I think it's good. I'm okay with that. He did it, and everyone else did it too. You know what happened? Nisanel saved Kali Yisrael. So much Agmas Nefesh. There's like seven marriages in like Usher that's still going on because Nisanel didn't one-up Nachshon. That's godless. Godless is like, you know what? If I want up somebody, you know what that means? There's a guy in my kid's class who can't afford it, and he's going to have to afford it. But this is the biggest side that I've learned. When we spend more than we earn, you know what ends up happening? It costs us years. Years of our kids, of our marriage, of our learning, because it costs a lot of money to upkeep it. 
So we don't, we don't hejbin the time value of money. So I'm a to in total agreement. I think that if we cut it in half, and by the way, when people are throwing our money for, for image, it's a great indication that they don't have a lot of confidence. Hashem should bless them with real, true confidence in who they are. But, um, but the truth of the matter is, every single one of us should realize that at the end of the day, the greatest value we have is our time. And when I spend too much, what I'm doing is I'm basically mortgaging my time to go out and make more money to be able to support my needs. So Hashem should bless everybody. Um, but I'm in agreement with Saul, big time. I'd like to uh, I'd like to change the pace a little bit, if I may. Uh, I have Baruch Hashem. My kids are on on Zoom uh, here. I'd like to invite any of my kids if they have something to add that I always tell them that I forgot to say now that you found helpful in your life. Uh, I'm considered, you know, an AK. Uh, uh, you hear it from young people. Uh, by the way, I'm not that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm very, very proud of them. They're great kids. They're all CPAs, by the way. And that's only because I don't know how to sing. If I would know how to sing, they would all be chazonim. So, but they're only, uh, that's all I can do is I'm a CPA, so they're all CPAs. Any of you, Yanka uh, Shimon or Avrumi or Sandy or Moshe Chaim or Benyon, no, anybody so wants to say something? Mordechai Kassiro wants to ask a question. Mordechai, you want to mute? I'm trying to avoid questions. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Saul. Thank you, Charlie. This is a straight-up accounting question. In, in managing the business, there's, um, I'm in the retail business, and uh, we know the cost of goods. We know our overheads. We try to have you know, a good set of books. There's a lot of incidentals that come up in running my style business. Um, we do a lot of gifting, so... There's wrapping, and then the customer wants it rewrapped. The customer wants, oh, could you do? Could you throw in the free delivery? There's so many different add-ons that the customers might want. Is there a way to quantify that to know how much it's actually costing and how to incorporate that in the cost and to, for the success of and the profit margin? Uh, let me answer this very briefly, and I invite you to. You want to discuss it with me, whether in person, my Brooklyn office, my Lakewood office, I can tell. But let me give it to you. I discussed it with the roomie already. Oh, so then what do you need me? He knows better than I do. But what I, I just gave him, I just gave him the quick preview, which is, which is, I, uh, it, it, it's important to know your cost and to know your margins. Yeah, the okay. idea is to get it all into the. Go ahead, Nancy. Take it away. Yeah. No, just to answer your question. Uh, again, it's a, it's a separate topic. It's not what I intended to do here. But what you, if, if, if you have enough data, it will tell you what your general overhead is. Besides, you buy a, a, a plate and you sell a plate. You know what the plate costs you. You know what you sell it for. Okay? That's your cost of goods sold. The rest of the stuff, I'm talking the plate, the wrapper, and whatever. The rest of the stuff, additional labor or additional packaging or delivery, should really, uh, once you have the data, you should really be able to get a percentage of what, uh, what the total cost vis-a-vis -vis the cost of the actual plate. In other words, you might determine that this side things, all these side things cost you 6% of sales. Now, 6% of the cost of sales. So in other words, if you have a plate that costs that cost you uh, $10 and you mark it up 
to $15. Let's assume you take a 50% markup. But you know that it's 6% is that general overhead, then you would add to your selling price that 6%, which would cover all the other ones. So you have to develop my, percentage, and that's all based on data that comes through. You see each month. Okay, so my only, my only contribution to his question was to say as follows. When you're building a trial balance, when you're building a PL, right, and you're, and you're trying to calculate it, you need to know clearly exactly what your cost of goods sold is. In other words, if he's saying it costs him an extra, the guy says, give me an extra bag, and he knows that this bag costs him 50 cents, right? And if he knows that, that wrapping this, okay, labor is a different issue. It gets a little more complicated because of accounting. But every single one of those items that are directly related to the sale should be in the cost of goods sold section. And, you the know, that's- problem, The problem with what you're saying is, he is, he is uh, 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 doing a sale and he wants to know what to charge. He doesn't have time at that time to look at his trial balance and figure out what the extra cost is. I'm trying to be practical. If you are running a $100 million company, a Vrumi system is correct. It's all in place, all in the computer. But you're, you're on now. So you, when you make up your price, you have to assume that everybody is going to want that extra packaging and that better, better be safe uh, 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 to recover the cost than lose out. So let's say it's the general overhead on that. I'm not talking about telephone now. I'm talking about the extra packaging, the delivery. As a percentage of the sale, you apply it to your cost of goods sold, and that's how you should sell it. But there's a lot more that goes into this that Rumi touched on, which is cost accounting, uh, which is uh, it's, it's not for now. Nachum. Yes, Charlie, before you go, I've want to thank you for being on the show tonight and uh, quick question when you start talking just 100 miles per hour with all the information if somebody wants to know practical to get connected to Hashem to learn about the helical kamimal and all these things that you spoke about where could a person start where should he start is it a book a safer what would you say I'll answer it in three ways number one remember all roads lead to the king if you're, you can be doing, I've learned this from, from my Rebbeim. You could have two, two Jews learning a Dav Gemara, two Jews going to Davin. One Jew stops at the surface and that's it. That's all he's got. He's got the Chitzonius of, of, of Yiddishkeit. Another Jew says, I'm doing this to find you, Hashem. The Ratzon, to try to find the Kodesh Baruch and what you're doing, will allow you to connect in a much deeper way. If your intention, the physical world loves bottom lines. The physical world loves stuff. Show me what you got. The spiritual world loves intention. The intention of a Yid, the Balatanya says, you could have two Jews sitting at a table. One Jew eats to satisfy his stomach. One Jew eats to be holy. The nitzots, the, 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 the spark that is within that food and the klipa for those who are holding. What, two people, one person is bringing more klipas and darkness into himself. And one person is bringing up literally being Malin and Sotos. In Yiddishkeit, it's about intention. If your intention is to daven, to learn, whatever you're doing for Kodesh Baruch Hu, you're going to be able to connect in a deeper way. Number two, you have to learn Panemius. Some Seder somewhere in Panemius, whether it's Hasidus a little bit, or for those who learn a little bit more of Kabbalah, or whether it's Musr, there's got to be a Sefer that fits within to the Masorah that you feel comfortable in. 
that is going to drive you towards Amuna. That was one of the earliest things that a mentor of mine spoke about to the chevra of guys that were, were connected to him. If you're not, if you have a if your seder does not include five minutes of Amuna Bitachon Panemius, it's like going through life without like your the 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 arms to be able to deal with the challenges. If Amuna, most people their Amuna is asking ask somebody where Hashem is, they go, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, uh, Hashem is truly everywhere. I'm like, really? That's the last person you read, Uncle Moshe, the philosopher of most Jews is Uncle I love Uncle Moshe, but like I'm sorry, Uncle Moshe, Mamish, at least he teaches people that the that Abish is everywhere. I'm saying at least that's the idea. But like if you ask most people, like, yeah, Hashem is everywhere, right? Like that's right. So if if it's not part of learning and it's not inside, and the last piece, honestly, it's it's a practice that has been lost, but I think it's a practice that is from the Kadmonim until now. The idea of walking and talking and connecting to the Kurdish Baruch Hu, it's not, I, I think this is what they were doing. I don't know I, what they were doing. When Chassidim was when, when Shaachas, and they were sitting for an hour, they were, they were, they were trying to like get close. If, you, if you're not speaking to the Kurdish Baruch Hu in a regular way, three things, try it for a month and then tell me that I was wrong. You try this for one month, tw- ten minutes a day. You and Hashem in English, a seder, an amuna, an amuna. And when you do any mitzvah, just start and go. I'm doing it to go to the king. I want to get underneath. It's, it's, it's a shame that the the juice of Yiddishkeit is the Avishter. There's a lot of wonderful Orthodox Jews who feel empty, and it's 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 a it's a travesty. That, that, that there's emptiness in Yiddishkeit, when Yiddishkeit is the most delicious thing in the world. And it comes because we're satisfied with the surface. And it also comes from thinking that, we also, by the way, think that our, our efforts are actually bringing Parnassah. That's also a big misconception. Like, we think, like, our work is actually bringing Parnassah. That's a whole other conversation. The, I, have, I have questions coming from the left and the right. I'm not trying to cut you short. Can we, can we, can oh. we can push you for one more? Yeah. Okay. Troll, you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear you? Can you hear me? Yeah, speak up a little louder. Can you hear me better now? Much better. First of all, regard to your daughter. That's first of all. Number two, ask your Okay, I just, I just got the text from my wife. Thank you. She got it. Uh, really, really quickly. Um, are we being too complacent? We, we started off talking about coronavirus, people affected financially. I just lost my schwer, people are affected medically. Are we being too complacent? What I mean to say is, you know, we're looking at the protests for the last week and a half, we see what's going on. Obviously, that's not the way we want to see things. But our, you know, I, I foresee inevitably in the next week or two, the next month or two, we're gonna have some friction with the government because if they're not gonna let us open up camps and schools and shuls and weddings and everything, going to hit a point where people are going to turn around and say, and, and specifically business owners as well. Are we being a little bit too complacent about just, you know, we're just going to be sheep and do what everybody says, and we're going to follow the rules. And we see what the, what the opposite extreme is. And the government goes and kowtows to them and says, oh yeah, definitely do whatever you want. Are, are we being too complacent or we, should, we, we should, should we continue just being good little boys? I want, I want to hear your take on it. This could be for either for Solar or Charlie or both. Uh, let, let me begin. With, I, I would, let, let me first, I'll, I'll, I'll defer, I'll start with Saul and then I'll, I'll answer afterwards. I'll, let me give COVID first to Saul to start. 
I have a very brief answer. I would not answer this in a public forum. I'll answer it, but, uh, you know, the, the, the way Yid operates in this world is not like, you know, a Yid doesn't live, we, we, we have to play by certain rules because David's just shined the spotlight and that's, you got to live with that. And so it, the, 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 the idea that it's not fair, um, it doesn't, that doesn't work for us. Now, Baruch Hashem, Nebuchadnezzar gave us what he gave us, and so we know how to get what we got to get done, done. There isn't, it's amazing when you see what Kalisol could accomplish. I mean, you drop us here from Europe in two generations, like, you can't even, like, you can't, you can't go to a nursing home or real estate. I mean, like, forget about it. Like, you, you put us in Eretz Yisrael, you, we didn't know how to fly an airplane, and now you got, you know, basically the whole world getting, you know, sort of flight lessons from a bunch of Israelis. Like, the Kodesh Baruch has a way of making you and figure out how to prosper. But, but my personal opinion is that but with Chachma, Bina Vadas, that's how we have to live our lives, with Chachma, Bina Vadas, because we're playing for the king. And when you play for the king, you don't live in the, everyone else's rules. Whether, whether we like it or not, that's just, that's the schus that we have. So we may lose in the beginning, but you never lose in the end when you play for the king. I have one more. Can I put on one more? Yeah. Ben, do you want to answer this question, Ben? Coming? No. Okay. Uh, just as a point of information, I reminded myself. Somebody sent me yesterday a um, uh, WhatsApp, a picture. It must have been done in Williamsburg, in one of the places. A bunch of kids, Hasidic kids, are having a carnival. I don't know if you guys saw it. I mamish, I, I can't get over this, what I saw. I wish I could put it on. And a carnival, you're supposed to safe distance and everything. Okay? There's a little sign somebody wrote to them, and it says, in memory of George Floyd. That's when you call Chachma. The Jewish people have a way that somebody else can't think of. That's what I'm saying. Someone said I was deferring. The brilliance behind this. Let's join the fun, but let's have a carnival. Oh, here's the thing. <laughs> Justice for George Floyd. No one's doing that in the five towns, though. That's just a chat. That's, it's, it's a only, special chat. You know, only Hasidish. It's, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a, it's a it's, Different levels of Bina and Das, depending on where you are. It's but unbelievable. It's beautiful. So getting back to what I was saying before, if any of my, uh, any of my uh, um, children want to say something, uh, add or subtract something. One second. Uh, oh, Yanki, are you on? I can be on if you'd like. Yanki, ask away. You have everybody here listening to you. Okay, it's really directed to Sal because you brought up the topic, but whoever wants to answer it. Quite a few people asked this question, I'm letting you know. Okay, Mr. Friedman, um, I actually used your son's services too, at times professionally, so we appreciate your business. Um, you started off that Yungaman uh, should have four years of savings, so if you're making $100,000 a year, you should have $400,000 put away. Now, for someone that has a business or someone that working for years and he, you know, he's working towards it. After 30 years of working, maybe he can be there. But someone who's living check to check, 
And I'm sure there's a lot of people, a lot of people listening to the show that may be there. How do we get there? Is there, you know, I know you mentioned $10 a month for each kid. Uh, $10 a month for each kid, I don't think, reaches four years of, uh, of Parnassa. Maybe you can enlighten us or elaborate on that. I, I, was, uh, I was talking mainly to uh, uh, people that are in business and got wiped out in, in, uh, in uh, uh, you know, with COVID-19, got wiped out. Uh, that's who I was talking about. Uh, let me talk about, you know, people that are on salary, okay? Uh, it is very, very tough because the salaries that are being paid today, even by Hamish places, barely covers the, the people's expenses. Doesn't take into account the high tuition, camp costs, and everything else. And you're really living from, you're really living from, from paycheck to paycheck. It's very, very difficult. However, one of the advantages that you do have, that no matter what, the, if you have a good pernosa, if, you, if, you, if you're a dedicated employee and you're doing your job, then, then even if the real estate market dips or even a, a COVID-19 happens, you're still secure at least in your job. Usually you're secure in, 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 in your job. If however, if, however, your job is such that if any little thing happens, uh, the boss is gonna say uh, you're fired or you're laid off or whatever, you have to start thinking along the lines of maybe doing something, whether it's education, learning uh, what we used to call a fach, a trade, uh, uh, you know, doing something that you shouldn't have to live uh, from uh, a paycheck to paycheck uh, because if, if you're unfortunate that you have a job which, which you could be replaced tomorrow, uh, and so even your job is not secure, then you need to really rethink your whole life and see what else you can do. Unfortunately, today, and don't get me started with this, um, uh, uh, yeshivas are not teaching uh, their bocherim uh, English, let's call it that way, secular education. So when they come out, they should know how to do a, an Excel spreadsheet or a Word document. Unfortunately, they come out and they, they, they basically, they don't even have math skills to be able to do things. So to get a good job somewhere, a high paying job is very, very difficult without getting a secular education, uh, which, is, which is very important. But I'm talking in Lakewood. I still wanna go visit my grandchildren uh, so I, I can't say whatever, what I think because they'll put up barbed wires around and they won't let me in. So I got to be very careful. But what I was talking about, Prince, I gave a talk uh, a couple of years ago. I gave a talk. Uh, I was the fifth uh, uh, speaker. There was a panel of five speakers. I was the fifth. It was geared to um, the uh, internet to the Amazons, uh, Amazon, eBay, and all those things. And they were giving advice, they were giving friendly advice as to how to work with them and how to keep track and how to get your, your name up on the top. And they were doing all these kinds of things. And I was the fifth one, not talking about, about um, uh, actually how you're supposed to deal with the Amazons of the world from a marketing point of view. I was there as a plain accountant. Uh, 
And I figured, you know, this is becoming very boring to me. And I figured I'd like to shock the oilum. And uh, there's people on here who are there. And I, I start off the following way. I say, I've never been in a room with 300 lazy people. And I pause. I never, and then say it again, so many lazy people are in this room. And probably my, my kids or my staff who were there probably thought I, I, I uh, something happened to me. I became like Joe Biden or something. Um, anyway, so I explain. I say, you guys that are dealing with Amazon, you don't have a business. You're talking about three, four years ago. You don't have a business. In five minutes, Amazon puts you out of business. What are you going to do? This is not a business. You're making money, fine. Because today you're here and tomorrow, you're... what is your plan B? Why are you happy sitting around? The orders come in, the orders go out. Once a week, you get your money. You don't know if you're getting all your money or part of your money, but it's coming in. Your sales now this year were 10 million. And last year, it was only 2 million. You're growing by leaps and bounds. And you get lazy. Everything goes automatic. There's a secretary in the office that makes sure that the, everything is running right. You don't have to do anything. You have time to come at 1 o'clock to the business and go home 4 o'clock. You're lazy. What is your plan B? Do you have a plan B if this doesn't work? You're dealing on the internet. Are you branding a product? Are you finding a niche to go into? Are you working with other people other than Amazon? Are you selling direct? If you're only dealing with Amazon, you're lazy people. Look at plan B. Do plan B. After that, so many people came over to me and said, you know, I'm thinking myself that what kind of business this is. Now you look, and I needed somebody to wake me up. Look, in the past two, three years, how many people were put out of business by Amazon? For whatever reason. You can't, by us, a cloud, if a client comes to me and he says, is my business healthy? I see if he has 20% of his sales to one customer, it's not a healthy business anymore. You have to diversify. You can't rely that your business was, is, is, is relying on one customer. I was 30 years, I was in 6201 15th Avenue, it was called the Carfunkel Building, on the penthouse I rented. Why was that penthouse empty? Because a, a company, I forget the name of the company, had the whole building. And in one day they got put out of business. They were dealing exclusively with Montgomery Ward. I don't know if you guys heard of that. It was a big chain of department stores, like Macy's or something like that. They filed bankruptcy. And in one day, this 50-year-old company went out of business. They relied on one company. So when you are in a job, start thinking. I'll tell you this. Many people have jobs. They don't want to go into business because basically you're risking. You're really risking, you, you have a job and you need money to start, you need to do things, uh, 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 you're working for somebody else, you got, you're assured you're getting your paycheck, everything is fine. I was working in, in the early 70s, in 70, 71, I was working in an accounting firm until I got a job, that's another story. Uh, and I was earning at that time uh, $350 a week. It was $18,000 a year, which was a very nice 
which was a very nice sum of money. And I always had the urge to go out on my own. And uh, I went to speak to my father. And I told my father, I have side clients, because you have to do something on the side, like any salaried employee, just start doing things on the side to be able to make a, a better living. I had clients $4,000 a year. So you're talking about $80 a week. That's what I had clients. And I told my father, you know, I have an urge. I want to go out on my own. I'm giving up an $18,000 job, $350 a week for $80 a week. What should I do? I have two children already. What should I do? And here's what my father, who was a Holocaust survivor, what he told me. He said to me, if you decide, forget about accounting, if any one of you decides to, <clears throat> to open a shoe store on 13th Avenue, or I don't know what the main avenue is in Lakewood, uh, Route 9 or whatever, I'm not so accounting. If you decide to open a shoe store, what happens? You have to rent a store, you have to put down a rent and security. You have to buy shelving. You have to buy inventory. So you have to start. You have to start with, let's say, at that time, he said, was a $25,000 investment. So my father said to me, you're going, you're, you're an accountant. You also have to start with capital. What is the capital? You need two years of salary. You can't look that you're only making $80 a week. Just like the shoe store, you're buying shelving. You have to have money put away for two years so you don't have to look that how am I going to live. That's your investment. Of course, he didn't give me the money. He didn't have money himself. But he said he gave me the encouragement, gave me the encouragement, and he says, go out, go to your friends, put together some money so you know you have from where to live, while you're building up your practice. And the rest is history. Had I looked at, at it saying, well, where am I gonna get the next payroll check from? Or how am I going to make a living if I'm starting off on a, on a business? You would never go out on your own. So everybody who's in business, who's a salaried employee, and he's living check to, from check to check should have some skills. He should start doing things on the side. Maybe his wife can help him. Uh, like you, uh, uh, where is he, uh, uh, Mr. Kassira, your wife helped you. Uh, and you, uh, hard work, keeping good books, not overspending, living within your means. All the brochures and all the advice you got from Charlie today, together with that, you'll be successful. And, and if you'll plan correctly, if another, another COVID-19 comes up, you, you're, you're not going to get, you're not going to fall into a dip and not get out of it. Yeah, first of all, I want to say thank you to Charlie Murray for coming on. We really appreciate it. Charlie, get a good night's sleep. We'll speak again. Saul, I want to hit you with one or two more questions and then let's have closing. Let's end it. Are you, are you, is everybody up to that? I'm okay. Okay. It's way past my bedtime anyway, so. Bedtime. We don't have work anymore. What's the problem? We can do this all night. Okay. I'm going to direct this question to everybody, but we'll... This is like a financial mitzvah time. <laughs> That's pretty much a really late one. Um, I'm going to direct, the, direct this question. Hey, Binyamin, I want, to, I want to start with you. I'm going to direct this question first to Binyamin, but everybody else can jump in. I, I think it's a, it's a good question for him. 
a friend of mine just closed up shop. She said she was too old and had no energy to start over and rebuild her business. I'm, I'm, I'm too young. I can't afford to close up my business. What is the best advice you can give, you can give to make re rebuilding easier? Or how do you know when it's time to call it quits? Wow. Okay. Great question. See if we can tackle this. Definitely, um, definitely very hard to start rebuilding and you need a lot of strength. But if we keep the Amuna that we just heard tonight, I think we can do it along together with Hashem, we'll be able to succeed. I can give you some practical tips perhaps to go a little bit um, of things that people should look at, specifically in Lakewood. And if I may say, um, I will not argue with Saul, it's very hush of, but uh, Lakewood businesses, including myself, were wiped out. I'm sorry to say that. Maybe we should have been prepared. Well, this program is meant to argue. Everybody can okay. have their own opinion. Saul is one opinion, your opinion, and we, we, we discuss it together. So it's not arguing. So um, it, it's great, the advice that he gave, uh, and, and we should really take it to heart and follow it. Some of the little things that I thought of would be, um, Number one for Lakewood businesses, I think, is customer service. Uh, it's something that I myself work on. I brought my staff to a Ritz-Carlton training. Uh, we have a review of BP gold standards every single week. It's mandatory for everybody. It's something that's lacking in a lot of businesses, and it's something that really is the glue to any business, any relationship you want to have. Statistics say that one out of every, four out of every 26 unsatisfied customers will complain. The rest will leave. You don't want them leaving. There's so much, ignore your customers and they'll go elsewhere. You don't want them to leave. You want that relationship. You want to keep strong with them. You want to give them something that they're coming for and that's so badly needed in, in, this, uh, in this community. Now, many companies have store policies. It's the last thing I want to see when I walk into any store. It's very nice you have a policy. I have a problem. I need you to take care of it. Sorry, store policy. It's the worst thing I can hear and can listen to. And it's definitely not good customer service because I can guarantee you, you might have my sale that time. I'm never coming back to you. Something to consider. When I started my business, my father gave me a sticker with a little note uh, uh, saying on it that I stuck in my mind till this very day. And it's doing business without making a profit. It's like eating soup with a fork. You'll keep busy, but you'll stay hungry. It's something that businesses, I believe today, do not understand. They're busy spinning their wheels in the mud and getting nowhere. So many of us are going to fall into that trap of, of selling price. Anybody can sell price. You have to sell value, create a differentiator, something that makes you different, something that makes you stand out. If you're going to reopen and do the same thing again, the same thing the guy down the block does, you're going to be back in the same hole as you were before. You're not going to get to any of the, the, to the areas where Saul was talking about that you need to get to before. Don't be scared to, to charge a little bit of money. You know, there were two, the story goes to the two barbers that were um, in the airport. And one of them was, um, had a big sign on his store and it said, um, haircuts $10. The next guy got up on the side right around the street and he said, you know what, haircuts $8. So he went down, haircuts $6. So he went, haircuts, um, where are we up to? $5, $4. And they were going out of mind. What are we going to do? Keep beating each other up in price? How are we going to end, end this whole thing? And um, 
Finally, one day, this guy comes to work and he sees a sign on the other shop and it says, haircuts, 50 cents. 50 cents, my goodness. What am I going to do? How am I going to beat this? And um, by, by the end of the day, there was a sign up in his shop and it said, we fix 50 cent haircuts. You got you to gotta make a differentiator. People are going to come for such a thing. It's not a question of price anymore. Who does the price right and who will give me what I need and the service that I need? I, I think that... Um, the most important thing to do is, as we said before, is have proper books. But the books are there to focus on profit. Profit is the bottom line. It's not a question of how much business you're doing. It's more a question of your profit. Are you really making profit or are you not? People will tell you, you can, if you cut your expenses by 10%, you can increase your bottom line by as much as 50%. There are little nuances. There are little things that you can do that can make a huge difference in your bottom line. Oshi, I sent you something. Do you think you can put that up for a second? Um, let me try. Give me one second. The point over here is that you can actually raise your prices by 10% it's and here. afford to lose 25% of your business. People are saying, how can I raise my prices? I'm going to lose all my customers. You can lose 25% of your business. Look at this. Very quickly. You buy something for $100. You mark it up 30%. You sell it for $130. Your profit is $30. You sell $100. You make $3,000 profit. Focus on that profit. If you go up 10%, okay, I didn't even go up 10%. You bought it for $100. I went up to 140, I went 40%. So 10% would actually be 143. Went up just to 40%. My profit is now $40. For me to say, make the same $3,000 profit, I only have to sell 75 of them. That means I can lose 25% of my business. I can take care of my customers. I can be dedicated to them more. I can talk to them. I can create relationships. Still make the same amount of money. This will bring you to even have more business but, and, and more profit. But what do we do? We put everything on sale. I'm not talking about 50% buy one, get one free. Buy the same thing for $100. I put a 10% sale or $130. I'm selling now for $117. My profit is only $17. To make the same $3,000 profit, I have to sell 176.5 pieces. I am going to be spinning my wheels. I'm done, Oshie, thank you. I'm going to be spinning my wheels and getting nowhere. Everybody, selling price is something that everybody, there will always be someone who go lower than you and really have to get out of that. If a grocery store does $100,000 of business, if he raises his prices by 1%, a tiny 1%, if he does $100,000 of business a week, he'll make $1,000 more a week. That's $50,000 to go straight into his pocket. That's the bottom line. If he goes 10%, he'll make a half a million dollars. That's something that we have to know, and that will help us get to where Saul was talking about before, where you can stop putting away money and really make yourself a healthy business as, a whole, as opposed to one that goes week by week and, and, uh, and, and is not really strong. So create that differentiator. What is it that makes you stand out more than others? What's your value? There's a, there's, um, go into your business and go, look, what can I change? In my business, every month we go through this exercise. What can we do to make the service for our customers better? It's important. There's a little show out called Undercover Boss, where the guy goes actually into his business just to, to see what's going on and see how the customers feel and what the service is like so that he can come back and make changes and, um, and, and do something better. Would you, you have a business? Question is, you can build it up to ask yourself this question. Would you buy from you? Or even better than that, you've got to build it to make it so strong that it will be, how could I not buy from you? And that's going to bring you that slacha. Of course, get yourself a good business plan, marketing budget, sales strategy, understand the different things that are going on, 
but focus on don't be scared of going up in price because at the end of the day, they'll be out of business. You'll be continuing to go strong and, and keep your customer service and you'll be strong. Thank you very much, Yaman. Okay, it's been a long night. It's 12 o'clock. It doesn't end this program. Let's go to closing. Anybody else who has, so one second. We're gonna get to closing. Yeah, I would like to enhance what he said, so not to argue. Two minutes. I enhance what he said. Two minutes. We have a, how many? Two minutes. Oh, I thought you said two hours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let me use your exact words to show you how it translated into our accounting firm and how I believe in this. Um, Early, early on when we became, when I opened my firm in 1974, 73, at the end of 73, I decided we're not gonna be a volume firm. In other words, more and more and more clients, pizza shops and, and, and all these kind of people that come in with shopping bags and information. We decided to give service, but they have to pay for it. In other words, we have, we pay better for staff, so we have dedicated staff, we have less turnover, but we charge a price. People appreciate service. If you know, if you have a store and you walk in there and, and the word gets out that if you ask $20 for this item, you say, could you do better? Okay, I'll give it to you for 16. Word gets out like that, it never ends. I only love to play, to shop in suit stores or in, silver stores or in places like that, that is the price. You don't want it, don't take it. And if you run your business that way and you give them service and you talk nice to them and you show them that you care, this is what brings the business. If you're gonna stop being volume, like the standard joke is, a guy says, I, 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 I bought something for a dollar and I sell it for 90 cents. So how do you make money? I make money in, in the bottom. Um. I have a lot of volume, that's how I make money. That's false. So these are ways of doing business. And if you concentrate on that, and the way to concentrate on that is if you are in business, you have to live and breathe your business 24 hours a day, including Shabbos. You're allowed to think about your business here, here, here in Metorum. You're allowed to think about your business. That's what you have to live and figure out how to give better service, how to take care of your customers, how they should know, you know what? This guy is much better. You go to a car mechanic. This guy is much better because he cares. He calls me how I'm satisfied or whatever. Or you go into a jiffy loop and you do your job. In every business, customers want quality and they want good service. And if, or if they're coming in for only for price, let them go to the people that do value business. Thank you very much. Let's wrap it up. I just want, there's a few questions I'm just going to try to cover because people are texting me. Anybody who wants to reach out to Saul Friedman, you go to SaulFriedman.com, his website. He has all the contact info. A lot of people have a lot of questions to ask you. Reach out to him. Anybody who wants to get a hold of uh, it's, so, it's SNFCO, Sam Nancy Frank Company Activist. I typed in Google Saul Friedman Accountant. I found him. Oh, okay. That works. It works also. So anybody needs to get him, any questions, reach out to him. Reach out to Avrumi Sons. Anybody who's on the firm, Moshe Horowitz, more than happy to help you. Um, anybody who wants to reach Ben Heinemann, a lot of people are asking for his information. BP Graphics, Lakewood, New Jersey, call up, say, I want to speak to Benjamin Heinemann. BP Brinkrook. Sorry. Anybody who wants to reach out to Mark Casero, he's the owner of Set Your Table in Lakewood, please look it up, call him up. Anybody who needs any help from Culture Nachum, any Shirim, any emails, please contact him. 
MenachemBernfeld.com. Tomorrow this year will be available on the website. It's all recorded. Avrami Friedman, thank you. S-N-F-C-O, like that, that's easier to remember.com. Okay. Um, again, I want to give a gracious shkoya for Saul Friedman. Sai Bimominus, he was a corporate sponsor this week to be Mechazic people, and Sai for giving his time. And um, it was mine. It was really, it was eye-opening uh, session. And I think a lot of people were, learned a lot of stuff. I think um, people are Mechazic, and I think people have to understand that we have to, you know, build businesses properly and not live Hefka, 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 however they say it. Uh, I want to give a special thank you to our advertising sponsors, Mrs. Tyler Kaufman from the Yeshiva World, Matziv, LNN, Lakewood's News Network, Lakewood's Most Viewed Status. You could sign up by sending him a WhatsApp message at 732-903-5017. Rianne Klawanger from the Lakewood Chopper, Jay Blast, Mikasso from COL Live, Kazak. And um, I wanted to say as well, tomorrow this year will be available on www.menachemburnfield.com. It's all recorded. You can watch the whole thing over. Um, anybody who wants to say some closing remarks, you're going to be coming up in a second. And next week, we are going to have Rabbi Ben-Sian Schaefer from the Shmuz coming next week to talk about ultimate Amun and Betochen through the most critical times in life. And we're going to ask him the hardest questions I've ever asked anybody. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, ben, the Yaman you just spoke, do you have anything else to say? Everybody was, was really touched by you. There's a lady who texted Menachem. She was crying after you spoke the first time. I'm just letting you know. I am sorry. Get some tissues. <laughs> I, I would say some closing remarks, if you don't mind. Okay. Very what quickly. about you next? Um, I definitely want to um, shout out to my family members and my employees and a bunch of fans that are keep texting me the whole night. It's very hard. I don't know how you do it. You have many more texting you, but I definitely appreciate it. Um, but they're all asking me to give some practical advice. So we did a little bit of that. That was on the business side and then a little bit on the spiritual side. So the first thing that I, that I do, I can only tell you what I do myself. Um, I'm going to say three to four things and we'll be done. Very important in my life. My kids know this. My, everybody knows this. Be very careful and meticulous about Meister. It's very, very important. We all have maybe Tzlaka accounts and so on and so forth and things go in, but there's so many stuff that slip right by and you make a husband in your head and really it doesn't work. For me, I had a card that I used all the years. I wrote every time some, I made some money or took some money in, I wrote it down and I kept measuring on my, in my computer. I just recently found an app on, 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 the, on my phone that does my serve, keeps it nice and clean, tells you exactly what's going on. A great thing and it's important and you have the daftaka from Hashem that you're going to get, you're going to get business from that. Number two is a long topic which I'm not going to get into but feel it. Feel it to me is so important just from experience. I'm only doing this 30 years but I see day in and day out how my tefillah makes such a big difference in the outcome of what's going on in the business. Um, it, it's, it's from coming on time to making sure that my orders are going to be ready on time. From making, sh making my uh, davening from beginning to end without skipping around and going back and forth to make sure that my journals, which I have a whole story on that didn't come out right, and that's when I stopped doing the backwards and forwards. Uh, leaving before the end of davening, it's like, you know, um, asking you about cautious and then not staying to say goodbye or, or to get your brothers back. It, it's just like, it doesn't work. Anytime I've left early, it really hurt me. Uh, Mincha is a big thing that we do in VP and it really helps us tremendously. Um, it's brought down Chazal, how Mincha is middle of the day and you can stop to do it. That this really has the biggest uh, thing. And we see personally, we see how it's been, it really helped us throughout the years. There was one time that we, I did construction in the Mincha room and I, 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 we had to move it to my tenant. My tenant took over 
after three, four weeks that we did, he asked me to please leave it in the slice. And I said, why? He said, because my business went up tremendously this month. And I think it's after with Mincha. And I said, no, no, no. It's coming back to me because I had a hard month this year, this month. And, and I know what's going on. It's coming back to me. We've kept it. And that really is, uh, to me, a tremendous thing that, that uh, has helped us. In fact, when Mincha stopped during this COVID, it was very, very tough. And then once 10 guys came back, to, we started the Mincha again. And Baruch Hashem, things are picking up. Tefillah is a tremendous thing. Keep davening and, and keep that going. It, it really means a, a lot. And it means I make sure to say Karbanas every morning. I know when people come to show the first thing they sacrifice is the Karbanas, and that's uh, a problem. But if you do everything, HaKadosh Baruch is there. We realize that everything comes from Hashem. There's no other way to do it. Uh, another tip which we, which we do always is daven to somebody else, another business owner, Daven for your competition. Nothing can happen. Hashem runs the world. He has enough for everybody. Daven to them and you will get answered. Chazal say this. It's guaranteed. Just, just keep davening for everybody. Lastly, I would just say that I, I once asked Mayor Gelly or Mayor Gelly, what's his secret? How did he, he can give me some tips on how to make some money. And he told me, he pulled out a sitter at that time. It was a, a sitter of Vilna. And he said to me, he says, go say the, the Parshas Amon every day with the Yeratsan before and after. It's brought down from the Yerushalmi, from the uh, uh, Rabbeinu Vachai, from the Rishonim, real people, real stuff. And it says very clearly, You're not going to have any Mazayinus ever missing. And he says, It comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. More or less does not help at all. Don't just say it. You should think about everything that you're saying and remember that everything that you get is all from Hashem and there's no one else. When I say the, the first possible, as we start saying it, I'm going to pour upon you lechem and hashemayim. This is our salaries. This is our money. This is our panasa that Hashem gives us, and it's only from Hashem. And if you have the right kavanas and you do all the good things, then Hashem will surely send us all. Shabbat Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ms. Lineman. One last question. Everybody keeps on texting me. What's the app you use for Meister? One second. Matzhi, you ready? Coach Menachem, you ready, to, you ready to wrap up? MeisterManager.com. Thank you. And- M-A-A-S-E-R-M-A-N-A-G-E-R.com. Thank you very much. Really, really appreciate tonight for you coming on. Tremendously. Thank you Thank again. Thank you for having me. Malchi. Unmute. First of all, thank you, um, Mr. Friedman. I took tremendous direction from your words and um, really appreciated what you said. Thank you, Reverend Yaman. Your, your chizik was was. Oh, inspiring! Really, really very inspiring. And thank you to Charlie. Um, I love the, the the concepts that you were talking about, differentiating and 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 selling the product. I tell this to all my salespeople: the first thing you mention to a customer should not be the price; it should be about the product. And we'll get to discuss price later, and so on. Um, just on, I just want to finish off with a, a little my, my nugget of chizik. A little over ten years ago, the first time I'm. Um, my wife took me to one of the business shows, one of the gift shows. So I was, um, I was actually teaching at the time. Still, I still do teach. And I was, um, you can say I was a curl guy with a very wet behind the ears. And um, I met a from rep. He's like, you should know there's a mincha 
at um, at five o'clock every day every day of the show, and he showed me which exit the mincha is going to be there. <clears throat> I I came there. I figured it'd be a tiny, small little mini mincha, and I, there was, must have been fifty to hundred people that stopped doing what they were doing at the show. And at a show, you're busy. You're walking the whole time. Nobody stops for anything, and they all stop for mincha, like you said. And it hit me, and I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm an I'm an enikel from the Bardichim. I said, if the Bardichim would come to this minyan mincha, what would he say? Rabbi Nishalom, what are people doing here? Why are they here? They're here for one reason, because they want to support their families. Why do they want to support their families? To be able to provide chinuch, to be able to provide housing, to be able to give our children food, to be able to give a little tzedakah. That's what we're all here to do. Um, Be'ez Hashem will bounce back from the dip and um, Be'ez Hashem, the businesses that really got hit hard or wiped out, will come back, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to giving tzedakah like Lakewood can, 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 can be proud of, like we've done all along, helped out the community, helped out Klai Yisrael, and Be'ez Hashem will come out stronger and better. Thank you, everybody. Mostly, thank you again. We really appreciate you coming tonight. It was a big problem. By the way, if anybody needs a good gift, go to set your table. <laughs> Coach Menachem. We're past overtime over here. I just want to say thank we you very much. everything. Listen, at, at 12.15 at night, you have almost 300 people. I don't know what to say. Coach Menachem, let's go. Thank you very much, Mr. Friedman. And the trolley, it's unbelievable, the information. Matka Kassir, thank you. And the Ben Heinemann. And Hashem should help us, and He does help us, and will help us. And it's Hashem, everybody should get the chizik, and you can hear it again and again, and we should see the Yeshua Bikar. Amen. I would like to finish up by saying again, oh, from the, the Gashmias they can, you saw what happened with the jobs on, on Friday, with the stock market, uh, and uh, with Trump at the helm, he will, uh, he has chosen too, what he's doing for Yisrael is unbelievable. In my entire life, I never had a president that was, that, that behaved that way. Uh, I had that, I went to that lunch, that big famous lunch I went um, earlier, uh, I think in November, and I saw how he talks about uh, Jewish people and how he loves them, and his chis, what he's doing for Yisrael, the economy is going to turn around. It's going to shoot up like a, re a, a record, like a rocket. And believe me, in a year from now, two years from now, we're going to be discussing the COVID-19 bit like we discussed today, 9-11. Oh, we once had a story, 9-11, and whatever. And everything is going to go back. When you say stores are wiped out completely, you'll see most of those are going to go back. The statistics showed as of last week, 79% of the small businesses in the United States are back in business again, 79%. So let's be positive and let's end this on a positive note. Hashem is gonna help us with the light like this, that killer uh, Torah and, and, they, they, they go, and the, with a Baltikeia that I have, right? You're, you're my Baltikeia, right? Uh, things are gonna turn out to be, uh, pretty good. And thank you all for listening. And the, the only way I'm going to know, Ushi, if, if I did a good job is if you invite me again to speak. <laughs> Next week with Reverend Ian Schaefer, Amuna Betachin slash cash. Surely invited for Rosh Hashanah.
What? Yeah. The shul invited to Avrumi for Rosh Hashanah. Aleph, well, get me a seat, because I can't stand. The shul is getting tighter and tighter. Rabbi Freeman, really, really thank you. Mamash Mahana, tons of people. You did a massive chesed tonight. Men's chesed for everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you again. Next week, we'll see you.